Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to all of you. We are Stranger Than, a podcast delving into the unsolved, the mysterious, the misunderstood, and the creepy. What are we talking about this time, Joanna? We're going to be talking about the Unabomber. The Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get into it, I feel like a total fucking asshole because when we recorded our last show, I had 100% meant to thank Christopher, a.k.a. New Guy, for filling in for me on the syphilis (laughs) episode, on the Tuskegee syphilis episode, Um, and I thought about it on the way home, and I was just like, oh my god, Joanna, (laughs) (laughs) you're a fucking asshole for not saying anything about that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much new guy for filling in last minute for me yeah and your brother is doing pretty good now he is doing pretty good my so my youngest brother did a humpty dumpty off a fucking cliff in alaska like literally plummeted 30 feet and is really lucky to be alive yeah that's something else yeah still in a wheelchair we're calling him brand the broken right now yeah no shit (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's why i came (laughs) Totally. So, yeah, no, he's he will be in a wheelchair for a bit still, but... Not forever. It, he not will forever. be up. Not forever. He yeah. will get up and should make a full recovery and go back to his rock climbing activities. Yeah. Up. How are you feeling about driving these days? Oh, it's a little... A little... <laughs> a little trying. A little I stressful. A little yeah. bit. Two accidents and, like... Oh my gosh! A month and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, just the fucked up part was like the one where the second one where you literally had just gotten a new car. Yep, twenty two hours after I got the car, sitting at a stop sign, still dealing with the insurance stuff on that. That was over a month ago. That just sucks. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. But Ted Kaczynski. Yes. Let's talk about. Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski is uh, an extremely brilliant and extremely fucked up person who I think could have really done a lot of great things. Yeah, if he hadn't decided that he hates like modern society and that, you know, he needed to blow a bunch of people up in order to get his point across about that. Yeah. And think that that was like justified in some reason. So I will be getting into his childhood and family life and all that, but I'm going to kind of start this off with kind of a blank slate, like what the police and FBI had to deal with for almost two decades before they finally caught him. All right. They knew nothing about this guy. Just the fact that over and over people are getting fucking blown up and fucked up. May 25th, 1978, Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, where I was born and lived very, very briefly. Yeah, we end up in Illinois quite often, actually. I know. Like, what the fuck it's is it weird. with Illinois? I don't know. I wouldn't know either because I didn't spend long enough there to actually know the place. I haven't gone back much. I mean, I can tell you everything that's, like, fucked up with, like, Seattle and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah, definitely why people out here end up being fucking assholes but illinois not so much professor buckley crest 
He was the professor of materials and engineering, received a packet that was found in a parking lot at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Now, Evanston is... It's like a suburb of Chicago, isn't it? It is. This package had been marked as return to sender on it and had the professor's mailing address at Northwestern on it. But it was found in the University of Illinois in Chicago in the parking lot. But they went ahead and mailed it back to him. Right. It was 1978, you said, right? You find a package. It says return to sender and it's in the parking lot and it's kind of close by to where it's supposed to be going. Who knows what happened? Yeah. So anything could happen, you know, throw it in there. Nothing nefarious. Yeah. Nothing nefarious at all. That was the mindset at the time. Yeah. Now, when Crest receives this package, he clearly knows that he did not send anything out. Yeah. So he's a little suspicious and he contacts campus security. That's uh, smart. Yeah. Even in 1978, he's like, I don't know about all of this. Mm-hmm. So the campus security officer, Terry Marker, is the one who ends up opening the package. And it exploded, but it was more just kind of like, bang, you know, not like like a firecracker. Okay, so like... Type of thing. He didn't... It didn't... It, it injured his left hand, but yeah. not severely. Yeah, he didn't lose a finger or anything. No. And when I was when I was a kid from on the Fourth of July, I was all stoned in the back of a friend's car, and we were driving around throwing bottle rockets out the windows because we make good decisions when we're children. And <laughs> when you're children, yeah, you're getting well, stoned. <laughs> yeah, we were we were seventeen years old. We were totally children. Yeah, that's and, true. That's fair. And then we rolled the windows and got stoned, and they rolled the front windows back down because we just clam baked the car, and I didn't roll the back windows down. I was sitting in the back, and. I grabbed a bottle rocket and threw it out the window that wasn't rolled down. So it bounced off and landed behind me. And I was in the seat belt and I, or I was buckled into the back seat. I couldn't get forward. So I grabbed it and it went off in my hand. Mm-hmm. And it just, it didn't do any real damage. I think I actually did something similar. I, I think I'd had a few drinks at a party and people were lighting off bottle rockets and I lit it and then just held it. <laughs> <laughs> forgot you had it oh this is a Basically, cigarette and then yeah. until it like went off in my hand i was like ow motherfucker <laughs> yeah fucking hurt almost one year later on may 9th 1979 graduate student john harris was working in the school's technological institute and he noticed what looked to him like a cigar box in a table outside of his office he said, quote, I picked it up intending to put some pens and pencils inside. It turned out to be a bomb, which did not explode. That's ha- good. Definitely <laughs> Jesus. good. It had a detonator that went off. I saw a bright flash. I don't remember hearing anything. So like the guy before him, he only suffers minor cuts and burns. Yeah, yeah. Not Obviously not bombs that are meant to do physical harm. Well, maybe they're meant to, but just hasn't gotten not made very well lucky for these guys definitely he would definitely improve on his uh craft i guess for lack of a better word down the road yeah on november 15th 1979 american airlines flight 444 departed from chicago on its way to washington dc 
As the plane gained altitude, the cabin began to fill with smoke. Not ideal. No, not what you want to have happen on a fucking plane. No, like, no at one wants. No, not at all. Oh my gosh! I, I, when I'm on a plane and there's a little bit of turbulence, I start like, oh, like no, 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 no. Yes. Yeah. Even though I know it's way safer than cars and blah blah blah, it's just still. It's I don't know. It's still nerve wracking for me. Yeah, definitely. The plane makes an emergency landing. And 12 passengers are treated for smoke inhalation. They have to be taken to a hospital. The bomb had been in the cargo hold of the plane, along with a bunch of other mail that was being delivered at the same time as people were being delivered. Oh, yeah, yeah, because oftentimes on these, they would just toss in the mail. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they still do that. I don't know. I don't know if they only have planes that just do mail now or if they still do that, too. I don't know. They feel like with all the added security they have to do nowadays, like... Seems like that's probably a, a thing of the past. Right, because you, you have to like deal with all the passenger and all their luggage and security. And it seems insurance. Seems like having to do a big and... thing of mail, too, would be, I don't know, holding up shit even more than it's already held up at the airports. Yeah, yeah. I feel You're like prob- they would do it separate, but I don't know. I Who have knows? no fucking hey, idea. <laughs> if you work at an airport and you know, drop us an email. Stranger than podcast at gmail.com. Fortunately for all the people on board the plane, it was a faulty trigger that had only made the bomb smoke a lot. Oh, okay. So there was no actual explosion. There wasn't an explosion. Had it actually detonated? Experts say it would have, like, obliterated the plane. Oh, wow. So he... Killed everyone. That one was packed pretty full of explosive material. He fashioned, like, a barometer or something to to make it into an altimeter. Oh, so that which, when it got to a certain yeah. altitude, it would explode. Mm-hmm. And that's wow. something based on, like, the pressure of the air or something like that. I don't know. That's, like, smart person stuff. That Crazy. I don't know nothing about. But it was not done properly. No, there was, like, some faulty thing, like, when the altimeter triggered the bomb, it just didn't... It started smoking, but it didn't actually, like, explode. Yeah, that's... that's Good for those people, too. (laughs) So far, we got some lucky-ass people. Yes. Now, since bombing an airliner is a federal offense, this is the point when the FBI gets involved in the case. Yeah. The task force that was created included... Not only the FBI, but the ATF and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. The code name for the case was Unabom, U-N-A-B-O-M, short for University and Airline Bombing. Ah. I always wondered where the name Unabomber came from. Yeah, U-N for University, A for Airline, and then B-O-M for Bomber. For Bomb. Yeah. And then I think once the media knew about Unabom... They, you know, dubbed him the Unabomber. Yeah, yeah. Because that also makes sense. Since, oh, know, totally. It's it's a lone good... person bombing shit. And that's, I probably think, the proper conjugation of the term. Mm-hmm. Over time, the task force would grow to have more than 150 full-time investigators. Wow. Yeah. A lot of money and manpower was spent trying to find this guy well and despite all their efforts they just had nothing 
for years and years and years. Well, it would be so hard when you didn't have anything modern. Right. Back in the late 70s. Yeah, I mean, forensics was still in its infancy, really. You didn't have networks the way you do now too where you can just like put something in on a computer and you can find stuff from all over exactly yeah anyone who's ever been entered into the police system you can be brought up for right you didn't have uh was that vicap i'm not sure i think it's something similar to that where they have like the whole fingerprint or is it ficap the the fingerprint identification system and the dna stuff where it's like you take someone's fingerprints and DNA and it just gets put into that federal database. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's immediate now because I guess they just scan your fingers. They don't, there's none of this. There's none of that ink, ink and rolling. And yeah. Man, and to be a, somebody who matched fingerprints back in the day before it was, that would be computers. Oh, man, just very time consuming. Mm-hmm. That's some tedious, detailed work there. Oh, yeah. June 10th, 1980, Lake Forest, Illinois. United Airlines President Percy Wood would receive a package at his home. The package contains a note and a book. The note directed Percy to read the book. It said, quote, you will find it of great social significance. Hmm. The book was Ice Brothers by Sloan Wilson. Okay. Yeah. Never heard of it before now. Never read it. But it's not just a book. Within the book, he had hollowed out the pages and put in a pipe bomb. Oh. The bomb goes off, and Percy receives burns, cuts, and bruises all over his body. Again, nothing too serious, though. When the device is examined, they find the initials... FC are have been punched into a piece of the pipe. Okay, so that it's obvious it was put yeah, it's there like a by signature. October eighth, nineteen eighty one, maintenance worker at the University of Utah finds a suspicious looking box in the business classroom. The police are contacted and the bomb squad was brought in and they defuse the bomb and no one is injured. Examination of the device showed that it was the work of the same man who had now been, as I said before, dubbed by the media as the Unabomber. The Unabomber. May 5th, 1982, Vanderbilt University. A package arrives addressed to the head of the computer science department, Patrick Fisher. What the fuck did you do in computer science in 1979? (laughs) Or 1980 or whatever. I imagine it was, and it was... Just in its beginnings, too. So imagine how much he must hate it now. Right. Because basically his thing is he hated technology and thought yeah. that it's just bringing, it's going to bring around the end of the world. And now Which it's... he's not altogether wrong on that. No. But, <laughs> I mean... you know, most of us just kind of deal with the fact that that's going to be the eventuality. We don't go blowing up people that are advancing technology. No. Because most of the time it's like convenient. It is. I really can't wait for there to be like a fucking Rosie. Oh, Rosie yeah, the robot. Yeah, totally. That'll just clean your shit. Oh, and... my God. Hey, Mrs. J. Ms. J. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case. Yeah. I fucking can't wait to have a goddamn Rosie. Whoever is working on that. Chop, chop. 
move it along a little bit, please? My house is a fucking mess. No AI. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to just clean it. It's like, I promise I won't try and have sex with it or anything, you know? That's, like, I'm not concerned with you having sex with robots. I'm have concerned with robots being sick of being treated like slaves and taking this over because, well, they can. They're made of metal. They're soft and breakable. Right. But I mean, that seems to be like the focus right now is like live sex dolls and stuff. Like they're just creating robots for sex. Well, that's... And I, I mean, just want a robot to be my maid, okay? <laughs> I mean, why can't this robot do both? Why can't they have sex and clean your... I feel like that is the thing that's going to push the robot over the edge. All the sex? Yeah. And then the cleaning on top of it? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Well, regardless, I just want one for cleaning purposes. That's That's all right. So... Let's work on that a little bit more than the fucking realistic, like, sex dolls that fucking, like, move and talk to you. That's fucking creepy as fuck. Have you seen those things? I have. Yeah. That's a hard no for me. Yeah, they're pretty whack. Yeah. Mm-mm. There's places that are trying to open brothels with them. Yeah. And I really, I don't see the problem. If people want to go spend money on robots to have sex with then let them go spend money on robots to have sex with right, i believe I that that They're... if they want that if a person wants to spend money and have sex with another person that should be fine too as long as that person is consenting of course they should if if person a wants to pay person b for sex and person b is willing to take money to have sex with person a then there should be no reason that that doesn't go on but, you know, like the robots don't really have a choice in it. They just get created for it. That's true. So that depends on what you define sentience as. Right. Well, when they're trying to make it as lifelike as possible, that's where it gets kind of fucked up. Right. But if it, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's it. When we start making things like that as a species is when there needs to be regulation on what constitutes a person, I guess. Right. In some places chimps are considered people and so you if you do something to a chimp it's as if you did it to a person if you kill a chimp it's murder Mm. well i would hope it's kind of like that with most animals i mean not maybe considered to be the level of murder but oh yeah i I mean mean, if you want to pay to have sex with a dog i mean come on like that's not okay well no you should you shouldn't have (laughs) you can't go and have sex with chimps i mean no pain to have sex with animals is not at all okay right but that's something where it's not a human right but, but it's still also wrong. it's also not created by people true it is something that grows autonomously well i don't need mine to be but su- i just wanted to fucking clean my goddamn house you just need a roomba that does a little bit more right that yeah. like kind of can differentiate between like my kids tiny little pieces of clutter that just needs to be picked up and then what actually needs to be like sucked up yeah yeah stuff like that wipe down things like vigorously and (laughs) vacuum you just need a fucking maid uh scrub the toilet out (laughs) yeah it sounds to me it sounds to me like a maid but i want a robot maid Uh, all right well it just seems more convenient there you go (laughs) at any rate there were fc on the pipes FC on the pipes. 
or on so, this on this yeah pipe. we're back to so back to patrick fisher head of the computer science department the package had originally been sent to pennsylvania state university because that's where he had worked previously right they sent the package on to nashville which is where vanderbilt university is oh, okay so they they get it they get a bomb in the mail mm-hmm and they just say, oh. And they're like, oh, this guy doesn't work here anymore, but I know where he does work. Let's send it right along. Yeah, because why would they think it's anything but something innocent? Right, and like, oh, well, he probably wants whatever package this is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing the way it just makes its way. That Even though it gets sent to the wrong place, it still makes it to the person. <laughs> yeah, eventually. Eventually. The package had a return address with the name Leroy Berenson, who was a professor of electrical engineering at Brigham Young University in Utah. Oh, okay. He receives this package. It's from another professor in Utah. Doesn't have any reason to be suspicious. However, he does not open the package himself. It is his secretary, Janet Smith. Oh, opens it of course. Up. He probably didn't even see the package. Or maybe he's odd and just like, why don't you take a look at it and see what's inside? Or what is it? As he's typing away and she's like, oh, well, let me open it. I don't know. However, it went, it, However went it went down, she is the one who ends up opening it and detonating the bomb. Oh, God. She received severe burns to her hands and lacerations caused by shrapnel. But she does make a full recovery. Oh, good. Yeah. She wasn't, like, permanently injured from it. But still. It was definitely worse than the previous ones. This is the first one that's fucked someone up. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in more than just a, you know, like, annoying way. Right. July 2nd, 1982. Diogenes Angelakos, computer science professor at the University of California at Berkeley, notices a green gallon-sized container in one of the common rooms in the building. <laughs> he thinks it's a turpentine can that was left over from some recent construction okay. that had been going on there. Because turpentine is used in construction? I, well, you know, if you're removing paint or something, hmm. it's a paint thinner. Yeah. So maybe they were repainting what they had constructed. They were painting over. Maybe. They put up a new wall and they need to paint it and got a little turpentine going on. It was actually a pipe bomb. Oh, well, Not that's... a can of turpentine. When he picks it up, it goes off, and he suffers severe burns to his right hand, and he is also blinded temporarily. Oof. He had to be hospitalized due to his injuries. Yeah. And while he was away, his wife was, like, terminally ill with cancer. Oh, what the fuck? And he had been the one, like, taking care of her, and so he was unable to care for her himself during her final days Ugh. because of his injuries. Wow, that is the worst. Yeah. She died within a month of the attack. God. And he stated, I went to her funeral with my arm in a sling. My God. How awful is That's that? That's just terrible. May 15th, 1985. A University of California at Berkeley graduate student, John E. Hauser, picks up a package in the university's computer science lab. He thinks that it's a file box, possibly belonging to another student. Okay. So he picks it up, intending to see who it belongs to, so he can return it. 
when he picks it up, the device detonates and Hauser loses four fingers on his right hand and his right arm is literally shredded. Ugh. He was wearing his Air Force Academy ring on that hand and when his fingers were blown off, the ring was blown into the wall with such force that you could read the word Academy like with the, your naked eye. Holy and, shit. Yeah. It was just clearly visible. Wow. Strange coincidence here. These bombings were almost three years apart, but they were at the same place. Guess who is the first person to respond and help him following the explosion? Who? Professor Angelakos, the guy who was blown up. Oh, the last time the guy, yeah, yeah whose wife died oh, while yeah, he was yeah. recovering from his injuries, he hears the explosion and is first there to help him. Fuck. He used his necktie to make a tourniquet because his arteries had been severed. Oh, man, he probably saved that guy's life. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. Wow. Like, don't worry, I'm not panicking. I've been through this before. Man, that's rough. Yeah, how nuts would that be? Good for him. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like you, you go back to the place that you work after this terrible thing happens to you, and then... It happens again to one of your three coworkers. Three years later, yeah, you, you hear something go off, and you just know that it's... That's yeah. the beginning of an action movie. <laughs> In addition to the hideous injuries, he also lost partial vision in his left eye. Ah. Hauser was a captain in the Air Force... Yeah, he was getting his graduate degree and his master's degree and hoping to one day become a part of the astronaut corps. Unfortunately, you can't do that with only one eye. With limited vision and basically one hand now. Yeah. I mean, he lost pretty much all the Four fingers. Four fingers, yeah. That's like all of them but your thumb. Yeah, you've got a thumb. And and there, there are some things they can do. Right. Yeah, they, can, they can build it together, I mean. But... This was back in the early 80s, too, so probably you can do as much as you can uh, do no, now. No, no, you could. Uh, I mean, that's when Bert had a, his hand worked on was like not quite the early 80s, but the mid 80s, mm -hmm. maybe the early 90s. And they patched, you know, they put some crazy shit together for for his hand. So I'm sure I mean, not enough to be a, an astronaut. Right. I and mean, I mean, that's kind of what I'm getting at here is that but, he was a pilot. He loved flying in a really cruel fucked up twist of fate he had actually already been mailed his invitation to um become part of the selections process oh, for the astronaut corps yeah i mean you don't just get like picked like no you, they invite a lot of people to try out and then if you make it through the selections you get chosen so that's a pretty big deal to get yeah to get selected i for imagine selections. for pilots that's pretty much the ultimate is mm -hmm. you get to fly into space. Now, obviously, because of this horrible thing, he was not able to go into the astronaut corps. He wasn't even able to go back to being a pilot. Yeah, no. He no. left the Air Force, but he kept up with his academics and did complete his master's degree as well as a PhD and became a professor at University of Colorado in Boulder. And... 
he actually won the National Science Foundation's Presidential Young Investor Award in 1991. Huh, nice. And as far as I know, he's still a tenured professor. Oh, sweet. Well, so there's always it's, that. It's good that he didn't let that just ruin his whole fucking life. Yeah, no, Because it good. easily could have. Especially when you think about the dreams he had and the fact that you were making them happen and then yep. this awful random thing happens and just fucking tears him apart. Life can be cruel. It certainly can. June 13th, 1985, Auburn, Washington. Oh, hey. Boeing Company. The day before my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Your flag day birthday. That's right. A suspicious-looking package is noticed by Boeing employees working in the mailroom. This package had actually been lost in their internal mail system for a while. Oh. And I think they were going to—it was, like, in the process of maybe getting returned when the employees noticed that it just seemed odd. It had, like, a bunch of stamps on it. It was— Just looked off. It just looked off. They contact the police— and the bomb squad defuses the bomb, and no one is injured. Ooh, yeah. I guess at an aerospace place like Boeing, you're going to be a little bit more leery of just packages you find. One would hope. And as we can see, that's the case. <laughs> Among other trademark characteristics that were beginning to become pretty noticed and notable, the initials FC were engraved on a metal part of the bomb. So several bombs. Yeah, I think most of them he ha he had it put in somewhere, and somewhere where it wouldn't be like destroyed. Yeah, where it would be found. November fifteenth, nineteen eighty five, Ann Arbor, Michigan. A package arrives at the home of Professor James V. McConnell. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. There is a one page letter taped to the top stating, "I'd like you to read this book. Everybody in your position should read this book." I think it was Ice House again. Oh, okay, yeah. McConnell asks his research assistant, Nicholas Sweeno, to open the package for him. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, he's busy doing whatever, and yeah. he's got his assistant there. He's like, oh, hey, open that up for me, would you? The package, of course, again, is a bomb. Of course. It detonates and causes burns and shrapnel wounds to Nicholas and blows out the eardrums of McConnell. Oh, God. It causes temporary hearing loss to him. Yeah. Yeah. It was only temporary, and then uh, Nicholas did suffer some burns and, and wounds, but it wasn't... He didn't lose any fingers or anything Yeah, like that. it wasn't yeah. as fucking awful as the one previous to it. <laughs> Man. December 11th, 1985, Sacramento, California. This is the bomb that will finally do what I'm sure was his intention all along is to right. fucking kill someone qc stretton a shop owner he owns a computer shop oh okay computers are bad yes they are he notices a block of wood with nails coming up out of it in the back of the shop kind of in the parking lot that's weird and so he's just like what the fuck and it's kind of like in a paper bag too but where you can see the that it's wood and nails coming up through it yeah it kind of it's kind of sticking out, and so he's like, "Hey, I better move this thing so somebody doesn't like run over it with their car and fuck up their tire or something like that." Yeah, yeah. Like you see something with nails sticking out of it, and the 
in your computer shop parking lot. You're like, yeah, what the fuck? Like, yeah. yeah, maybe I better move this. Unfortunately, this device poses a far greater threat than just simply fucking some, up tires. Yeah, yeah. Fucking up someone's tire. Within the blocks of wood, there are three 10 inch pipe bombs filled with potassium sulfate, potassium chloride, ammonium nitrate, and aluminum powder. There's also shrapnel, which is made up of random metal chunks and shavings, nails, and splinters. Oh, yeah. Just anything that can cause... It's it's an anti-personnel device. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for doing damage to people. The explosion is the most powerful yet. Strutton dies almost instantly, but... You got to think about that horrible instant when you have all those nails and pieces of metals and splinters driven into your body all over it. I wonder what the speed of you. A, I mean, I wonder what the speed of the chemical reaction is. I mean, like that is going to make it like just you're not going to feel anything. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, shock. How I long does it take so. for shock to set in? I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine it happens but pretty quick. Still, imagine for those that don't die. Yeah, having the to... feeling of all that. Oh man, stuff just drive into your body. Not only like the burning explosion, but then a whole bunch of hot metal shit. Yeah. Yeah. No good. Burrowing into your flesh and bone. No good at all. February 20th, 1987, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Unabomber uses the same tactic as before, a wooden block with nails protruding from it within a bag. Yeah, yeah. It's discovered in the back of a computer shop by its owner. Okay. Gary Wright. So this time around, he's like, fuck people who run computer shops, I guess. Yeah, yeah. As with the previous bombing, Wright attempts to move what he believes to be a hazard to cars. Yeah. The device detonates, severely injuring Wright, primarily on his left arm. He does live, though. How badly damages his arm? It's pretty fucked up. I didn't get a huge amount of detail on it. Because kind of what sticks out about this case is that there was actually an eyewitness. Oh, a secretary looking out her window just a few minutes before the owner had discovered it in the parking lot. She saw a man in a hooded sweatshirt with sunglasses placing the package on the ground. Well, finally. Finally. The FBI does a sketch. Yep. And it's a pretty well-known one now. Yep. I can I can see it in my head. Mm-hmm. Finally, I mean, this is like nine years into it, and finally, for the first time, they have a face. Finally, to uh, put to this person. I mean, not much of a face, but no. I mean, it it is still, quite it's, vague, it's, but still, it's, it's more it's, than they had. It's more than they had for the last almost decade. Yeah, up to that point. And so they're thinking that these bombs are all the same people. Oh the yeah, same they person. know. I mean, they examine them all, and they all have. The, the FC. And... The FC. And there's, I'll get into it here in just a second. Okay. Some of the other methods that just, it's, it's this guy. Okay. Clearly it's this guy. 
the FBI releases the sketch to the all the medias and news outlets and newspapers. Yep. Whatever they used, like, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Back the, in the Stone Age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was probably on the newspaper and... Uh, Went on all, you know, national news on, on all the, the local news, news channels. Yeah. Running a picture of his sketch. And probably this freaked him out a little bit. Oh, yeah, probably. If he... Oh, did he know? I mean, is he watching the news? He was living a pretty reclusive life, but... Still, I think the, there's news going on on the. Remember, you used to pass by the store and it's on the TV. Yeah, and then it's true. out in all the newspapers. Yeah, he would go to the library on the regular and read papers. So I see. So he would have, yeah. And I imagine he would have been following the effects of his work too, and looking out probably, for that. Probably, probably. And it's like, oh look, another bomb went off. But oh look, somebody saw him. Here's a picture of him. Like, oh shit. Just like, e, done fucked up now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that was the reason he took a little bit of a hiatus. But who knows? To let the heat kind of die down. Yeah. It will be actually six years before he strikes again. Oh wow! So everything kind of goes quiet. So it's uh, quite a quite a hiatus. Now those on the FBI task force are hoping that after a while all has been quiet because maybe he got arrested on some other charge. Maybe he's dead. Right. They don't. They're not sure. All they know is that it's suddenly stopped. Yeah. They're probably a little bit relieved. I mean, at this point, they have done so many hours of investigation and still basically had nothing yeah. other than this kind of vague sketch him with a hoodie and it doesn't have sunglasses too they know his bombs inside out yeah oh yeah they are very familiar with that but as far as who is making these bombs no idea he was super meticulous when it came to not only how he crafted his bombs but also making sure that he did not leave any evidence at all except what he wanted to leave right the whole thing was very controlled so he would leave the punched in initials fc on his bombs the bombs were usually pipe bombs in a wooden case and this is something that was like handcrafted so he made like a wooden box for he them. made a wooden box for each and every one of them <laughs> He would glue it together with glue. It was homemade glue. Wow. Made from melted down deer hooves. Wow. So mm -hmm. they couldn't even, I mean, they couldn't trace right. where the glue came from. And it seemed the the objects that he would use for shrapnel was like scrap metal and just stuff you could pick up anywhere. Right. Nondescript. Mm-hmm. Just kind of random junk metal and yeah. scrap metal. Wow. So nothing that could draw anyone to any one particular place. No. Even the batteries, there were 9-volt batteries often used okay. in the bombs. He would strip the cases off so that there wouldn't be any serial numbers that they could trace right. at all. So it was just like a silver 9-volt battery. Mm-hmm. Stripped down. And just everything just kind of meticulously handcrafted. And Man. the fucking deer hoof glue. I mean. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's something And, of else. course, no fingerprints. No. Because someone this careful does not. No. 
not use gloves when they're that doing would, all this. That would be insane. I'm sure they checked, but I'm sure they weren't like thinking like, oh man, this is probably going to be, we're probably going to find one here. Also, one small clue that they had was that clearly this guy had a thing with wood. Not only were they always in wooden handcrafted boxes. Oh yeah. But there would often be wood chips along with like the metallic shrapnel. Oh, okay. And then one of the bombs had been sent to a guy named Percy Wood, and there's oh. just all kinds of wood references. That's weird. He was just into... He was into wood. Carpentry. He had a thing with wood. Yeah. So all is quiet for six long years. But on June 22nd, 1993, in Tiburon, California, a package arrives at the home of Charles Epstein. He's a geneticist at the University of California. Ooh. The package is brought inside by his daughter. The bomb enclosed in its usual wooden box detonates and results in serious injuries to Epstein. He loses three fingers, suffers a broken arm, and just has bad injuries because of the shrapnel that's blown into his chest and abdomen. Yeah, yeah, that's just, that's not good for you. His eardrums are also severely and permanently damaged, causing partial hearing loss. Two days later, June 24th, 1993, at Yale University, a package arrives at the computer science office to Professor David Gerlinter. Okay. That does not bode well for the prof, I'm sure. It does not. While opening the package, a bomb detonates, causing severe injury to him and also starting a fire oh, in great. his office. Great. Fortunately, the fire was extinguished quickly by the building sprinkler system, and he stumbled down five flights of stairs in a daze to the infirmary. He had severe burns and lacerations on his hands and face, including his right eye, and loses his right hand. That's... So he's pretty fucking maimed. That's maimed as fuck. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the Unabomber was back in full force. Yeah. Two bombs in two days. Yeah. Now, on that same day, the New York Times receives a letter from someone claiming to be part of a group called FC. Oh, right. The letter had been mailed from Sacramento around the same time of the bombings, like prior to the bombing. So pretty clear connection there. Yeah. The author of the letter enclosed an identifying number. So that further communication could be authenticated and they would know that it was really him sending oh. another letter and not somebody pretending to be him. Okay, yeah. Like, who the fuck thinks of that? Like, here's an authenticating number. People who watch too many spy movies. I guess so. <laughs> so if it does not contain the number 531056... It's not It's not me. me. It's not us. He writes in a tense that he uses the words like we and us a oh, lot. okay. As if he's... Royalty. Maybe not so much royalty, but <laughs> an organization versus a single Yeah, it's lone not person. just him. It's, it's him and his Which boys. Which kind of doesn't fool anybody, because at this point, somebody who's been doing something like this for so long, not getting caught, clearly that is someone acting alone. Yeah. If you're doing this with like a group of people, like there's always going to be that person who's going to talk and fuck it up. Yep. Or leave some sort of clue behind. Yep. It's it's really the the lone ones that Deathbed confession, you know. 
whatever has a little too much to drink talks too much yep yeah group things like that don't tend to last very long no for that reason i think they're just kind of like yeah okay freedom club that's what they would later learn freedom Club. fc stands for is yeah. freedom club totally seems like freedom club would be something so much different yeah not blowing motherfuckers up more like maybe but maybe just like only people that disrespect the flag and (laughs) right (laughs) homeland terrorists that promote national pride right that'd be weird like freedom club that's what's happening next fucking america (laughs) it's gonna happen next four years it's gonna be freedom fucking club it's already freedom club okay that's true it's true i know a lot of members the Freedom Club. They all have American flag tramp stamps. <laughs> hey, that is our country's fucking flag. You're born on Flag Day. How can you fucking be like that? You make me sick. Uh, Tell me what you do to serve God in your country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, not much. There would be many more communications following this initial letter sent, including a personal letter was sent two years later to Professor Gellerinter from the Unabomber, basically fucking mocking him and being a giant dick. Oh, really? Yes. I'll read you a quote about it. People with advanced degrees aren't as smart as they think they are. If you had any brains, you would have realized that there are a lot of people out there who resent bitterly the way techno nerds like you are changing the world, and you would not have been dumb enough to open an unexpected package from an unknown source. Wow. Yeah, real nice, huh? He's like, yeah, you dumbass. Freaking fuck this guy up, permanently maimed and scarred, loses a hand, and then he's like, yeah, well, you're not as smart as you think you are. You're a fucking idiot for opening up this package. That is such a dick move. Seriously, like, goddamn. Just shaking my motherfucking head at that. Add insult to injury, basically. Definitely, definitely. December 10th, 1994. Advertising executive Thomas Mosser received a package at his home in North Caldwell, New Jersey. Oh, great. This is going to be the Unabomber's second fatality, with his family in the next room preparing to go out and get their Christmas tree. The bomb goes off and rips open Caldwell's torso, spilling his intestines onto the floor. Oh, God. He dies while his wife is frantically trying to stop the bleeding. But, yeah... Wow. And yeah. And who was he? Like, what was his job? Why was he targeted? He sends a letter specifying exactly why he was targeted, but he was an advertising executive. Okay. PR. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff of that nature. On April 24th, 1995, a package arrives at the California Forestry Association in Sacramento, California. It is addressed to the president, William Dennison. Uh huh. However, Dennison was no longer in that position. Oh. And with <laughs> Did they pass it along to him or? They were going to, but the package was given to the current president who had taken over the job about a year ago. His yeah. name was Gilbert Murray. 
And Murray decided, well, I'll go ahead and open it and see what it is because he's not sure if it's just something that's supposed to be for the president of the Forestry Association or if it's actually for this guy personally. Totally. So he's like, okay, if it's just for him, I'll forward it on to him at his new new gig. Right. And if it's not, then there we go. And if it's not, then, you know, yeah, we'll see what the fuck this is all about. When Murray opens the package in his office, the resulting explosion basically, like, blows him to bits. (sighs) Wow. Just pieces of him everywhere, essentially. The entire office is destroyed. It blows out the windows. It blows the doors off its hinges. Oh, wow. So it blows off the ceiling tiles. It was a serious explosion. It was huge. There were five other employees there, but fortunately, no one else was injured. Wow. How the hell? The really fucked up part is that apparently, before he opened the bomb and detonated it, when the package came, they were kind of joking about maybe it's a bomb. Oh, God. They even shook it. And coworker Bob Taylor would later state that they had joked about it possibly being a bomb and that Taylor's last words to Murray was, I'm going back to my office before the bomb goes off. God. And then Murray subsequently goes to his office. Where the bomb goes off. Where the bomb does go off. Wow. Man. Can you imagine you're heading back to your office like, oh, what a hoot. We're the funniest guys in the office. You know, out of all of the funny guys in the office, I think I'm the funniest. Kaboom! Scare the shit out of me. Oh, yeah. And it's just, like, super fucked up when it's something, like, you joke about and then it actually happens. Yeah, yeah. That's just always fucking heavy. Now, the same day, the New York Times receives another letter. The author of the letter is still trying to present himself as a organization. Right. Freedom Club. Not a singular person. Still talking in the wheeze. All up in the wheeze. The author of the letter promises that the bombing will stop if they will publish a lengthy article. Oh, okay. From him at a future date, or them at a future date. Right. He had actually sent this to a few different places, not just the New York Times. Okay, so he was just, he was shopping around. The letter stated that they would send the article within the next three months. And if no publications were made, then, quote, we will start building our next bomb. Oh, okay. So it's not just kind of asking and saying, I'll stop bombing. No, it says... Like, here's your deadline. Like, I'm going to send this to you in three months, and if you don't publish it, I'm going to start with some making some more bombs. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that... (laughs) That was the collective word of uh, yeah. those on the task force. Yeah. Just fuck. The letters were all mailed. He sent four in total. They were all mailed on April 20th, 1995. Now, just the day before, on April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh. Yeah. Did the Oklahoma City bl- Yeah, thing. did the Oklahoma City bombing. So here's some other guy who... Blew up. I mean, McVeigh's bombing was Jesus Christ. Yeah. I remember that happening. Although, I mean, I wouldn't say he definitely wasn't the criminal mastermind that the Unabomber was and the people behind him. Again, that was an actual organization. So, 
everyone got caught and everything traceable, like the U-Haul. and. Yep, yep. It's like, yeah, I put my real name on the rental place <laughs> and, you know, I mean... <laughs> All right. Right, but yeah, this guy just randomly caused a massive amount of death. Yeah. With a bomb. Yep. And then... One day later, this guy sends out his little letters to everyone saying, hey, publish me or or publish us or we're going to make more bombs. And then it was almost like he was the next day. after. I mean, the, then there's the one guy getting blown up. And then two days later, another guy gets blown up. Shit's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So I imagine like the FBI was just. In America as a whole, I think, a little bit on edge at yeah. this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I was I was fairly, I mean, I was 13, 14. I don't really remember it very well. I wasn't paying attention to shit like that back then. Oh, I was. Oh, I was not. Do you remember all of this going down pretty, uh, oh, yeah. pretty vividly? I do. I was old enough to be aware of it. I was a teenager, but yeah. I was still in my, I'm a teenager, nothing bad is going to happen to me thing. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. Whereas it seemed like, oh, that's really fucked up. It it wasn't like how I would feel about it today, probably. Oh, if somebody yeah. was like sending bombs in the mail and shit. And You'd they be horrified find, now. Yeah, I would be like terrified of everything because I'd be like, I'm going to open this or one of my kids is going to open this. And then you're just thinking like, maybe I could send one of these to the school so I can get tomorrow off. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't get tomorrow off even if there was a bomb threat at the school. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> well, I meant back school. Oh yeah, yeah. Back back in, back in the in day. School. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, I often thought of bomb threats to get out of things. Like oh man, but you know. When we worked at that call center, we would always get bomb threats there. Oh my god, I remember that. You know, always, always standing out in the parking lot, bomb threats coming through. Just like another Jesus. fucking bomb threat, Jesus. It's and like crazy. people could just do that and like not even find get out caught. Who, no, get, get caught. caught. Yeah. This is the dumbest shit. <laughs> Remember the pants lady? I never got any of the prank callers. You never got any? I mean, no. and they were just so weird, too. I'm sure they probably... There were some other ones... I mean, some even weirder ones than the pants lady, but I, I remember the pants lady just because it was odd since it was a female. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and most of, like, the pervy people that would call were Dudes, guys. yeah. But there was, like, this one chick about her pants not fitting, and maybe I need some new pants, and it's just like, okay, like, like what is your, what are you getting out of this? Like, what is your Just the thrill. Thing? Yeah, I don't... Who knows? I don't Who know. Who knows? <laughs> it would be on the billboard, the pants lady is calling again. Yeah, that shit was funny. Hell yeah. yeah. Back in the day when people called and ordered. Stuff yeah, you actually over the phone. Had call centers for catalog mm -hmm. sales. Yeah. Still had catalogs. <laughs> you know, it would have been like the easiest job ever if it weren't for the stupid ad on sales. Yeah. That's what really pisses me off about jobs like that. It's like they're they're almost good and you could really just be satisfied doing it. Except they have to do, like, one thing to that just, just make totally it... That just totally blows. That just totally blows and makes it shitty for you. Yeah, yeah. In addition to his demands that the article that they will be submitting shortly be published, the Unabomber also kind of goes into some of the reasons that he bombed that one... He targeted that one advertising executive. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he thought that... Uh, Mauser's firm was involved in helping the 
uh, Exxon company would kind of minimize their role and whatever um, when they the Exxon Valdez remember that fucking huge ass oh. oil spill yeah 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 so many little birds and yeah, sea I creatures coated in oil huge environmental impacts that was a disaster it was a huge disaster wasn't the guy like drunk or something too it was something like that it yeah. was it, it was, was like, like a total it was totally just it wasn't just some like oh there was like some traumatic bad random thing happened some act of nature no, no. It, was some dude. it was just some yeah. guy not doing his fucking job and then no. creating disaster on an epic scale yeah no good no good at all. The source of this information came from an article in an extreme environmentalist journal called Earth First. Okay. They misspelled the company's name, Burston Marsteller. Okay. The same way that he had in his letter. Oh. So that caused them to be like, oh, hey, this guy likes to read Earth First. I see. So and this they... is where he got the idea that this guy's company was behind uh, cleaning up Exxon's image following I see. that. Again, ironically as fuck, Earth First had their source information fucking wrong. <laughs> And yeah. the that advertising company actually, I mean, not only could they not spell the fucking name right, but it actually didn't have anything to do with Exxon and. Okay, so they had nothing PR. to do with the, with the Exxon yeah, Valdez so, thing. It just. Mm-hmm. Good, 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 good. But the Unabomber thought otherwise because of this article. Yeah. And I'll quote a passage from that. We bombed Thomas Moser last December because he was a Burston Marsteller executive. Burston Marsteller is about the biggest organization in the public relations field. This means its business is the development of techniques for new manipulating people's attitudes. Now the FBI, having been alerted to these new letters, has a big decision to make. He's made a threat. Yeah. A bit. A bit. He's made a, a big threat because a few months later, these news outlets do receive what's known as the Unabomber's Manifesto. Wasn't that thing like super fucking long too? Yes, I, I have the exact specifics of it here in a bit. Okay. His manifesto is sent to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and a few other media outlets. Wasn't Penthouse one of them? Penthouse actually offered to publish it if the the Times and uh, like the Washington Post like wouldn't. Oh really? He's like, hey, I'll publish his manifesto. <laughs> but then they just because the FBI couldn't like keep it completely under wraps. Yeah, you know, people knew that he had wanted his work to be published. Yeah, and now people have received that manifesto. That work. That yeah. work. The Post and the Times were cooperating with the FBI, though, and of course, yeah. kind of letting them make the call. And, I mean, you kind of have to. I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, FBI is, like, the boss of you. If they tell you, like, you can't post this, I'm sure it would at least take, like, a court It'd probably take, thing. yeah, I mean. You'd, you'd have to do a, a lot of There is freedom of the to, press. There so is freedom of the press. I think but, there would be, it, uh, yeah. 
But I think, you know, they can kind of like. They could probably do they something. They can pull some power cards there and be like, actually, this is evidence. And or something. You can't yeah. Have it. Yeah. I'm know. sure there's something they could do. And I, I feel like they're being pretty cooperative, too. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it, it didn't end up being something where it's like, no, you have to let us publish it or else. And right. that video is like, no, you're not going to. And it wasn't a big drama. Mm -mm. There, like... there wasn't a, a huge amount of drama surrounding it. Yeah. The well, biggest it... amount of drama was probably within the FBI itself where like, what do we do? We don't negotiate with terrorists right. as like a rule. Did they because... even consider this terrorism at the time? Oh, yeah. They considered it terrorism. Okay. Because I, I thought that was kind of a, a newer buzz thing. Mm -mm. Well, I mean, Tim McVeigh, he's a terrorist. They, oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. He just blown shit up and he's considered a terrorist. And yeah, he's a known murderer and making threats and demanding that this happens or else he's going to kill more people so yeah. you know that's that's a terrorist making a terrorist threat yeah. or demand yeah and fbi is like yeah we don't do that yeah but they still had like nothing yeah and how, how, they got they want to catch this guy they want to catch this guy how are they going to catch someone who's got and based on the last couple letters they got it's like okay this guy's kind of an enigma Kind of a unique person. They decide to, to roll the dice on it. FBI Director Louis Free and Attorney General Janet Reno approved the task force recommendation to publish the essay in the hopes that huh. somebody out there might be able to identify the author. Yeah. Well, fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure that was kind of a big thing. Oh, yeah. As far as giving in to that demand. Yeah, well, like, it's, I mean, it's really do? like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's possible to set a precedent where other people will be like, oh, well, mm -hmm, exactly. Now we can get away with this shit. But this point, he has killed three people. He has maimed 23 people. They don't have a fucking clue as got to who he is. Nothing. They have got absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. And he's getting better at his work. Yeah, the bombs are just the getting... bombs are just getting more and more powerful. Yeah. But it turned out to be a really great decision. On September 19th, 1995, the Washington Post prints the manifesto. It is 35,000 words. Huh. Yeah. It was manually typed on 56 single-spaced pages with an additional 11 pages of footnotes. Oh, okay. So I've actually read bits and pieces of the manifesto. I wanted to read the whole thing before doing this, but... Didn't time. feel like reading 50 oh pages, yeah. God, I mean, there are some definitely interesting aspects of it, but, like, the tediousness. Oh, yeah. And the detail, and it's just like, oh, my God. Well, he oh, had my a, God. Uh, he had a, a very thought-out idea of things. Yes. Yeah. The manifesto was titled Industrial Society and Its Future. Yes. And basically saying that we have none because yes. of technology. Yeah. He does make some good points. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't, but he just, just rants about all yeah, kinds just, of it, things. Yeah. Clearly, this is just not a happy guy, and he can't really find the silver lining in anything. Yeah. And it's just, that gets a little tedious after a while. Yes. Like, we were just talking about the people on Facebook who were just always like, fuck everyone, and, yeah, you yeah. know, and it's just like, okay, this is kind of why nobody does want to hang out with you, because... <laughs> right. <laughs> You're a total you, fucking downer. Yeah, and who wants to hang? If you're going to be acting like this, no one wants to hang out with you. Right. But they lack the insight into their own behavior. Yeah. And why they're a miserable person, basically. 
somebody did notice and recognize the writing. <laughs> Crazy. Which was the wife of Ted Kaczynski's brother, David Kaczynski. Oh, yeah. Now, David is always credited with turning his brother in. Uh-huh. But I was really fascinated to find out that it was his wife who picked up on it first. Yeah. And she had never even met him, but he had apparently sent some like really nasty letters. Well, he sent letters to David all the time anyways, but he also like got like super pissed when they got married and huh. you know, cuz marriage was obviously the downfall of society in some way too attaching yourself to another person and i don't know totally yeah 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 Yeah. she recognized it and told him that he should look into it and at first he's kind of like well i don't know he reads the manifesto and he's some stuff does stick out to him yeah (laughs) this is my my brother one of one of the terms uh so the james fitzgerald was one of the lead fbi agents uh-huh. on the case and did a lot of the uh, linguistic uh, work on it like okay yeah summarizing like where was he from based on how he talked and then also finding the similarities in uh, other writings of ted's that david would later turn over to them and he says the term that convinced david was quote cool-headed logician ah yeah Cool-headed logician. Mm-hmm. There was also a phrase that he said backwards, which was, you can't eat your cake and have it, too. That's weird. I mean, I guess it's the same, but yeah, it's It weird. is the same. I got this information off Manhunt Unabomber, so I'm not oh. 100% <laughs> sure. I know that he said it that way. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But according to them, that was like the original phrase used... Like hundreds of years oh, ago, and I now see. we all say it wrong. And so he was being super hipster about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, this is the right way of saying it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that sounds. I am sure by today's standards, Ted Kaczynski would consider himself a woke person. <laughs> yeah. Like 100%. Totally. <laughs> David also makes a trip to their mother's house and gets some of Ted's old letters and essays that he oh, wrote. Oh, shit, yeah. And when he looks over that, he's kind of like, fuck, I think like, my God. brother is the Unabomber. Yeah. He's still not 100% convinced of it, and he doesn't want to go to the FBI directly with his suspicions because... It's his brother. Well, it's his brother. His brother is, like, a recluse. He yeah. lives a separatist life. He has a hunting rifle in his cabin he's paranoid and the fact that this is shortly following ruby ridge yep following waco yep incidents where fbi and atf killed people unnecessarily yeah because it was you didn't they they're nece- like oh these people are dangerous and they just had to go guns blazing and people ended up dead he didn't want that happening because he it's his brother it's his brother, and he probably, I would say quite fairly, that would be a concern with someone like yeah. him, and then telling the FBI, yeah, I think he's the Unabomber. Yeah, because I, they were... That would be a worry for me, too. Yeah, they were not known for their discretion at mm-hmm. this point in time. Or their... Or even Restraint. Yeah, their restraint. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah, 
they were yeah. tending to shoot first and ask questions later. And oh, this guy actually wasn't doing anything that bad. Shoot first and make up the answers to mm-hmm. the questions they didn't really yeah. ask. So understandably, he was a little worried about taking this information to the FBI, but also suspicious enough that he can not. Yeah. He had to do something. something. He had to do something. He had to do something. Now, mind you, the FBI was getting like a thousand phone calls a day following the publication of the manifesto with people giving tips that were yeah, giving tips like, no, it's this this my fucking neighbor, it's yeah. my cousin. There were lots of people who also thought it was their brother. You know, my dad thought that the BTK killer was my uncle. Oh, really? Like, not my uncle that I see often, like, the other brother that's kind of, like, the the weird... Yeah, the weird, possibly the weird murderer one. one. <laughs> Though actually not, because they did catch BTK. But BTK was, like, in Wichita and a lot of Kansas. Uh-huh. And that's where my dad grew up and where um, my both my uncles <laughs> were living at the time. Yeah. So he, he thought one of he had his suspicions that like... maybe one of them was BTK. He was always kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Not so much that he contacted the authorities over it or anything. Right. But I, I think it wouldn't maybe not have surprised him a whole lot. Yeah, if he would have <laughs> one day, they're just like, hey, and guess what? And you're like, oh, I'll be damned. David hires attorney Tony Biskegli to take copies of what he had gotten from his mother's house and to take it to the fbi anonymously oh i see yeah so he agreed to take what it is and and give it to the fbi and say hey have a look at this guy's writing i'm not going to tell you who he is i'm not going to tell you who gave it to me but just let me know if you think that this is like a thing right the linguistic analysis said basically without a doubt this is the same person yeah the same person who wrote these letters and essays is the same person who wrote the unabomber manifesto they have a lot with 3500 words they have or 35,000 words they have a lot to go off the guy you just wrote all the time oh yeah what else you gonna do all the time well yeah i mean you don't have a fucking tv no you're against all that shit anyway Mm -hmm. you're just out there alone super secluded and shiz yeah making bombs and making bombs and writing letters and taking doing god knows what for long stretches of time probably getting the shit mk altered out of them that's gonna come up actually (laughs) believe it or not the fbi tells david's lawyer that yeah whoever gave this to you needs to talk to us right this is definitely a match david's worst fears are confirmed i mean yeah. that had to be awful yeah just like i mean like okay what would you do i don't know it's really hard because on one hand my sibling is my sibling mm-hmm. on the other hand they've killed a bunch of people that's not great so it's really hard it's a hard decision to make it is a really hard decision to make i have to say i'm not 100 percent sure like okay I think eventually I would turn them over to the FBI, but I feel like I probably would be trying to do something like, like, hey, I read your manifesto in the newspaper. I know it's fucking you. You need to stop doing this, like, right now. Yeah, like, right. Just fucking stop. Stop fucking killing people. Stop making bombs. Stop blowing people up, for fuck's sake. 
at least have a conversation with them. Yeah, about I would it. have a little conversation like, uh, you need to stop this like right now because I recognized it. Maybe other people are going to recognize it. Fucking right. stop it. You're being a really fucked up person. I don't know. And then if I maybe didn't feel convinced that they were going to stop at that point, I would be like, I can't be responsible for somebody else getting blown the fuck up and having their fucking life ruined right and their family's life ruined because i didn't do anything because i knew when i didn't do anything yeah 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 it's it's just a shitty situation to be in i i feel for yeah it would be it would be having to turn his brother in like that just sucks it would be absolutely shitty well at that point david kaczynski comes forward and gives the fbi what they have everything. been, everything, what they've been searching for all along, what they probably, who knows if they ever would have found him right? without it. Probably eventually. Maybe eventually, but I don't think anytime soon it wasn't going to be No, happening. it would have been sometime recently now. Right. Because even though they knew his work inside and out, they had his manifesto, they still didn't know who he was. No. At all. Yeah. He was still like a ghost to them, basically. Theodore Kaczynski was the Unabomber. Theodore Kaczynski. And he was living in a cabin in Lincoln, Montana. Wow. A really, really primitive cabin, but he and David had actually built it together themselves. Oh, wow. It was 12 feet by 10 feet. My tent is bigger than that. (laughs) And it had no running water, no plumbing, no electricity. Yeah, it was just a room, basically. Out in Montana. Montana is like some harsh living. In the winter, that is cold. Hell yeah. That is something else. To live in just some... I wonder if it was like well-insulated or if it was small enough that it was easy to keep warm because of a fireplace. Where I think he had like a wood-burning stove. Yeah. And he would use that to like melt the metal, like by hand that he was making his bombs with god damn yeah so on april 3rd 1996 armed with a search warrant (laughs) the fbi places david not quite under arrest but detains him while they search his cabin yeah and then find a shitload of bomb making material yeah there was a package another bomb already ready and set to go all packaged up oh ready to be sent off to someone else shit they found forty thousand documents like handwritten and typed documents like journals that he kept just his own personal writings pages yeah just that's so much i know it's like you're just sitting there Huddled over a stove with no electricity, freaking like writing shit out and making bombs and just being all sorts of crazy and fucked up. Yeah. He was like super disheveled. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Bearded, dirty. Wild looking. Totally wild looking. It's like, and, but just suddenly there he was. The Unabomber was caught. It was all over the news. Oh, yeah. They knew, finally, who this guy was that had been terrorizing people for 16 years. Yeah. Ted Kaczynski, born on May 22nd, 1942, in Chicago, Illinois. His parents were Wanda and Richard Kaczynski. I watched a taped interview with 
his mother, which just like makes me super sad. Like oh, his yeah. dad died in like 1990. Okay. I guess maybe that was that was during his hiatus time. That was during his yeah no bombing time. He had cancer, he had terminal cancer, and so he shot himself. Oh wow! Rather than deal with deal all the with bullshit. all the, yeah, yeah. the the cancer yeah. shit. Yeah, watching this interview with his mom. I mean, it just makes me so sad. Oh yeah, especially because imagine it, how that makes you feel. Yeah, I mean, you're a mother. Like if you found out that your son's been killing motherfuckers, you're just yeah, like, oh, just fuck. awful, and just what what went wrong. And one of the things that she actually said was that. At first, he was a very sweet, affectionate baby. He laughed all the time. He would always right. cuddle her. But when he was about nine months old, he got a really bad case of hives, which is kind of weird. I mean, it must have been some sort of allergic reaction to something. Right. And who knows how severe it was. I mean, it was severe enough for him to be hospitalized but who knows what long-term effects that might have had. What they called hives then could have been damn right. near anything. Right. I mean, this is the 40s here. Yeah, it could have just been some colloquial name that meant four different things. Like the bad blood they treated. <laughs> right. Well, when he was hospitalized, they didn't let the parents stay with the kids back in the day. Really? Right. You, like, you were there visiting hours only. Crazy. If you were allowed to see them at all. Wow. And so he was, like, without his mother for several days while he was in the hospital. And yeah. she said that when she came to get him from the hospital, he was just different from that point on. Crazy. He Who knows what happened there? didn't react to her hardly at all. He didn't laugh anymore. He always just had, like, this somber look on his face. He kind of rejected love and attention. Right. So... Weird oh. things for a baby to do. Exactly. You said nine months old. Nine months old, yeah. yeah. Like it's a baby cool. baby. Yeah. And just never really grew out of that. Just was always kind of a quiet, serious kid. He was replaced with Changeling. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Yeah. David was born, I think, six or seven years later. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's quite a bit younger. Yeah. But not like... 10 years younger yeah like, yeah right before sixth grade starts they have ted's iq tested and it comes back as 167 oh damn yeah now so einstein i believe was kid. was 160 yeah so that's that's pretty is uh, 160 pretty considered genius level or what what's the threshold for genius i think it's one uh, or is it i think it's it lower than that i think it's like 150 but i don't really know well whatever it is Ted was well above it. Yeah. Like, well above it. Once this is found out, he skips sixth grade. And from that point on, I think his already kind of, like, bad social skills kind of get even worse because then he's with, like, older kids. Yeah. And he's already kind of an outcast as it is. And then being, like, the younger weird kid or whatever probably just exacerbates the situation. Yep. I de yeah definitely kids are not nice nice kids are just be especially the to other kids assholes. yeah oh yeah kids are awful kids are awful he would go on to skip another year his eleventh grade year okay in high school he played the trombone he was part of all the academic clubs oh yeah but so. still kind of socially 
an outcast. Yeah. He didn't want to hang out with friends or do any like teenage things. He wanted to, he had really gotten into mathematics and he basically would come home and lock himself in his room and study math all yeah, evening just, long. Yeah, just like figure out equations and learn mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I so... do basically. <laughs> say that's so not what I was doing in high school. <laughs> Like, at all. He graduates at age 15 and gets a scholarship to Harvard University. Wow. And starts it at age 16. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. He majored in mathematics. And it's here at Harvard that there's kind of this whole weird uh, study that he was part of. Oh, really? Yeah. There is a professor there named David Murray, and he was doing some sort of study on the effects of stress. Oh, really? Now, there are some conspiracy theories out there that it was part of, like, MK Ultra. Right, right. This was in, like, 1962 or something. Yeah, so that would have been right around MK Ultra time. Yeah, and, I mean, he actually earned his bachelor's um, in 1962, so this would have been, like, a few years prior. Yeah. Like, when he started it. Apparently, it went on for, like, three years yeah, while yeah. he was going to Harvard. And the study kind of involved having a lot of, like, one-on-one discussions and kind of building them up. And, like, yeah, tell me about yourself and tell me what your beliefs are, this, that, and the other. And then they would take that information and kind of, in front of other people, like, use it against them somehow. Like, like oh, yeah, remember when you told me this? Like, that was the fucking dumbest thing I ever fucking heard in my life. Yeah, embarrass them for things that they... Yeah, like basically humiliate them while he had electrodes attached to his head. So they could see... The effects of... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds really fucked up to me, especially when you consider that he was younger than your average college student, too. He's still 16 years old. He's, yeah, probably way more insecure than any of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, probably Harvard has a lot of kids that are just, like, rich and entitled and confident. And maybe that's, I mean, it doesn't sound pleasant at all for anybody to go through. Like, no. that's, that's really fucked. It's like, seriously, Harvard? You, like, let this happen? They, like, man, this, you could just kind of uh, do shit to people back in the day. It was fine. Man. Just terrible. It sounds terrible for anybody to go through, but somebody who who's there, like on an academic scholarship, who is younger than everyone else. Yeah, who there should be some restraint. Is unless you're trying to make an MK Ultra fucking yeah operative or who whatever. Is clearly, like not operating on the same level socially as his peer group. Right. There's nothing that actually concretely says that Murray was doing research for MK Ultra. Yeah. That's just a thing that's out there. It's just a possibility. It's a who knows. And Kaczynski himself kind of downplays the whole thing and says that the stuff that's been reported about what he went through with it was dramatized greatly. Yeah. But there was, I mean, there is like evidence like what actually was done to people and that he was a participant in it for three years. Yeah. And that, yeah, it was drawing them out and then humiliating them and tormenting them verbally. It was basically like, it was pretty much unethical. Yeah, it was definitely unethical. Maybe damaging to their brain or to their uh, mental state. I mean, I think that could really fuck a person up like a lot. Yeah. Depending on the person. Yeah. I think that it could. I think that 
Ted Kaczynski is a person who doesn't want to admit that there is anything wrong with him. So I think even if it was really fucked up, he's going to downplay it no oh, matter yeah. what. He's like, oh, he's going to minimize it, it and be like, yeah, no, that had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. That didn't like totally fuck me up as a person. No. Whatever happened when he was nine months old, that fucked him up as a person. <laughs> Seriously, though. Ted graduates from Harvard and is freed of uh, the horrible study. He goes on to the University of Michigan to get his master's degree and doctorate in mathematics. Oh, wow, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Because he's super genius with that. He actually won Summer B. Myers Prize for Michigan's Best Mathematics Dissertation of the Year. Super mathy. Mm-hmm. Super mathy. His 1967 dissertation was entitled Boundary Functions and... A lot of people just said it was, like, one of the best things they ever read about math. I would have no idea. Right. Probably What wouldn't. the fuck it, it entailed at all. Yeah, I'm sure it was I'm probably... Super mathy. Yeah. So at 25, he's now got his master's degree, and he goes on to be the youngest professor ever hired at University of California at Berkeley. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 25 years old, and you've done all this crazy shit, and now you're a professor. Yeah. It only lasted a couple years, though, because, number one, his students didn't like him very well. Probably because... He wasn't very socially adept. He was not very socially adept. Certainly not probably... I mean, I just can't imagine teaching being his forte. Like, yeah, you're brilliant, but... Yeah. You come off as a total dick, probably, and you are frustrated by those who can't immediately grasp where you're at mm -hmm. and that's not a great quality in a teacher mm -hmm. he taught geometry and calculus yeah but i don't think he liked teaching any more than his students liked learning from him yeah yeah after a couple of years he just decides he is done with academics period quits his job decides to move out to that cabin in Lincoln, Montana, and he wants to be a self-sufficient person and just live off the land and not people anymore. Yeah. He's just done peopling. When he starts noticing the area around his property, get you know, stuff's getting logged, big on logging. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, he starts deciding that not only... It's just not enough for him to just be on his own and himself. He has to get revenge on the system. Yes, He's sick yes. and tired of what... What um, is doing to the planet. What yeah, is doing, what people yeah. are doing to the planet, what technology is doing to the planet, and he needs to do something about it. Yeah. Briefly, in 1978, he did go back to Chicago and work with his brother. And... His brother had to fire him because he went out on a date with, like, somebody else who worked there. And she kind of was like, okay, you're weird. I don't want to go out with you again. And he wrote all these, like, fucked up things about her on limericks. Is Oh. <laughs> How he had phrased it. Right. So he's just, like, writing dirty poems about this woman. Basically, and posting them up on, like, the, like, break room bulletin board. Oh, God. Yeah. 
<laughs> and David's just like, Ted, you can't fucking do this. And Ted's like, just like, you know, fuck that. She's a goddamn whore or whatever. And She's not a whore because she didn't want to date you. You're a fucking weirdo. Yeah. And so David was like, Ted, I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. Wow. Awkward. Yeah, super awkward. And so at, from that point on, Ted just goes back to the cabin and lives like a recluse and spends the next almost 20 years sending bombs sending to bombs and up. evading the fbi he actually created quite a bit of mischief in the town that he lived in although nobody suspected him at the time everyone was like totally blown away that he was a unabomber All right i mean they knew he was like this weird guy who was really smart and just when it kept to himself and yeah, lived realize. without any electricity and all this kind of stuff. But yeah. he made his own bicycle. He would like ride his bicycle like into town huh. if he needed anything. He did odd jobs for money. David would send him money every now and again. Yeah. But he grew his own food. He hunted deer and whatever for and rabbit for meat. Yeah. Apparently he would also do some random acts of vandalism to like logging, logging, yeah, shit. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, uh, wires on roads, like to get motorcyclists. Oh, it's kind wow. of fucked up. Yeah, that's super fucked up. They found among all of his crazy scraps and homemade things, uh, there was a pair of shoes. It was like a pair of Converse that was a different size, with a pair of his regular shoes like welded on top, so that he wasn't leaving the right size footprints. <laughs> When he was, like, going around causing mischief yeah. around town. Wow. Apparently, he would share the stuff that he grew with other people in town. And they later found out that he was using his own feces to, like, fertilize the Oh, stuff. God. Which is, like, I kind of get, but it's, like, okay, you know, you only do that when you absolutely have to. Yeah. When there is no other fertilizer available at all. Yeah, because human fine. shit is your own great, shit. It's not a great fertilizer. Yeah, human shit is not a great, I mean, that's that's a last resort fertilizer. When yeah. you have no other shit yeah. to fertilize the stuff that you need to grow to survive. That's with, when you shit in it. That's when you shit in it. <laughs> you don't, it's like, oh my God, like seriously, you couldn't have gone and just gotten some regular like cow fertilizer. I know, right? No. Nope. Why don't you collect some fucking deer droppings? I mean, you fucking melt down their goddamn hooves to make your own glue for your fucking bomb boxes. Yeah, no shit. It's like, go out and collect some deer shit and stuff. Apparently. I got piles of that all over my yard. Do you really? <laughs> yes. I was uh, taking a break last night, and uh, it was like, I don't know, it was like midnight, and I suddenly decided I was going to do a little midnight pruning of the apple tree that I fucking hate at my parents' house so much, because it's just out of control. Yeah. But they're like, oh, the apples, you know? So I was like, I'm just going to cut a shitload of... I mean, you, can, you can't even notice a difference, because it's so fucking out of control. <laughs> but I was going to do some... You're going to make a dent. Yeah, I was going to make a dent in it. And I kept hearing this rustling, and I realized it was like a deer in the yard. Oh, There's some blueberry yeah. bushes. They love that apple tree, too. With oh, I'm sure they do. Gross apples. My mom makes pies with them and doesn't say that they're from that apple tree. But you can taste it because it just tastes like ass. Those apples are so gross. That's... And she'll try and pass it off like she just made an apple pie with like regular apples. And you're like, no. And I'm like, oh my God, this is apples from the yard. She's like, it doesn't taste any different. It's like, yes, it does. 
I was all excited for fucking apple pie because my mom does make great fucking apple pie. If you use the goddamn store-bought apples. Good apples. Yeah, good apples. Not, not your wormy, weird uh, shit apples. Shit apples, diseased apples from that stupid fucking apple tree. Fuck that goddamn tree. <laughs> but yeah, deer come in our yard like all the time. So, so it'd yeah, be pretty get, easy to collect the shit. Yeah, they're these little pie. It's like almost like it looks like rabbit shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's like little round pellets. You know, pellets little pile of it except there's just yeah probably more than what your average rabbit will leave at a time yeah i would imagine Although, so. jesus christ fucking rabbits i swear to god they shit their own body weight like every fucking day <laughs> can you imagine what it would be like to get some organic produce grown by your friend and then find out that your friend used his own shit to... yeah yeah just be like oh like, dude i thought you were being nice yeah like, you gotta tell people before you do that it's like when you're handing me that basket of cabbage or radishes or whatever the fuck you grew out there in Montana, could you be like, by the way, I fertilized this with my own poop. And then I could be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm stocked I appreciate the gesture, but... I don't need any more celery. Mm-hmm. I'm actually good. And why don't you, why don't you give that to that, that guy down the street that's a fucking dick? Yeah. Or here, give it to me and I'll go. <laughs> Why don't you send this to the FBI? <laughs> there you go. The New York Times is desperate for it. Yeah, right. When he was arraigned following his arrest, he refused to have anything to do with a insanity plea. Okay. Yeah, he, he didn't was... want anyone to think he was crazy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not at all. However, he did try to kill himself in 1998 while he was in custody awaiting trial still so because of that they did order a psychiatric evaluation and he was diagnosed as having paranoid schizophrenia okay i can i mean i can definitely see that yeah for yeah. sure this is something he still denies though oh okay so he's just saying they this are is wrong just... yeah they are wrong he does not have schizophrenia who knows January 22nd, 1998, he does plead guilty to his crimes, and he accepts eight life sentences without the possibility of parole. Wow. He's remanded to a United States Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, also known as ADX. All right. It's like a special, special prison, I Right. Guess. It's like when you're the real bad guy, that's where they send you. Mm-hmm. It's in Florence, Colorado. Uh, known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Oh, catchy name. He's been there for what, like 21 years now? Uh, yeah, something like that. Well, he did manage to make some friends in prison. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Something he didn't really have a whole lot on the outside world. Did he get well, married? <laughs> one was Timothy McVeigh. Oh, really? Yeah, well. Shocker. Yeah. He was also there. I, get, I think their cell block was called like bomb bombers row or something like oh, really? that there's a lot of mm-hmm because not only was there timothy mcveigh there was also ramzi yosef who was the guy who bombed the world trade center in 1993 oh yeah yeah now obviously well most people know that timothy mcveigh was eventually executed yeah but they were super best friends up until that point and I guess probably him and Ramsey are still buds because he's still, still alive around. and serving. Yeah. As is Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, he is. He is still alive. He's still alive and kicking. He actually 
a lot of people write to him and he writes them back and writes a lot of other stuff in addition to his manifesto, which was eventually like published, published. Right. He has published several other literary pieces, I guess. I'm not quite sure yeah. <laughs> what else to call them. Uh, these include The Road to Revolution in 2008, Technological Slavery in 2010, and Anti-Tech Revolution, Why and How in 2015. Wow. So, like, fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to this day, he maintains that he does not suffer from any mental illness. Well, shit. And that is the story of... Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. That's a wild ride. Certainly was. Certainly was. If he just wasn't killing people. Right. He had some, I mean, if he would have just written about stuff and, and not killed people and, and maybe trimmed his beard every now and then, it wouldn't have been such a big bad thing. And right? I think probably there's maybe a lot of good he could have done for his environmental causes yeah yeah but if he had just opted to channel it in a positive way yeah less murderous way yes i mean the word that comes to mind when i think of ted kaczynski is malignant yeah yeah like his views and his hatred i mean it was just like a malignant like cancerous part of his personality that just if that part of it just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Could've. He could have really done some great things, but it was. And it caused a lot of people's lives to be not only ended, but ruined. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. I wonder what it was. Who knows? Next time, is it is it going to be Bert coming in? Oh, yeah, so next time we will be without Joanna because she's going to be on vacation. I am going on fucking vacation because I, I need it real bad. And so we're going to have Bert back and we're going to talk about something weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, Stranger Than Podcast, and we also have the Strange Space Group. Which is a great little place. I put memes on there sometimes. Yes. We are on Instagram at Stranger Than Podcast. We are on Spotify at Stranger Than Podcast. You can check out our podcast network, ageofradio.org. If you go to the bazaar, you can find all kinds of stuff to buy there. You can email us at strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. You can get our merchandise at tpublic.com slash user slash strangerthanpodcast. You can join our Patreon, where for a $5 a month donation, you get a bonus episode every month, along with some other goodies. Just go ahead and check out patreon.com slash strangerthanpodcast. And thank you to our current patrons, as always. Yes. And thank you to our listeners for listening. You guys are awesome. I'll be thinking about you when I'm on vacay. And she'll be some... listening to the episode, too, so... That's for sure. Visiting some national parks. Hopefully not encountering anything that would... Hopefully not getting lost. To... Yeah, hopefully not being lost forever. That's 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 the main goal, is to, to get back and get to back, come back to it. That's right. <laughs> and so we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>